1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Or tweet me at Jim Cramer. Well, here's a question. Where the heck did all the sellers go? Did they just disappear? Did they simply decide to park the money in the stock market, like it's some kind of bank fault? The more I watch this market rally all week, with the Dow gaining 89 points today, S&P advancing 0.33%, NASDAQ coming 0.67%, the more I think that's exactly what's happening. It's not that investors have gotten complacent. They're just being disciplined and resilient. So far, that discipline is working, and the resilience, well, it's a wonder to behold. With the coronavirus seemingly contained within China, at least for the moment, I think it's worth asking ourselves, how could we recover so easily from Friday's meltdown? We've now bounced back harder than we fell. what's driving the strength? Well, first and foremost, the marginal buyer of stocks right now is the index fund investor. Someone who puts their money into an S&P 500 why, 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 index fund why, 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 why. and then leaves it there. Everybody knows this is the smartest, lowest, lowest cost way to invest. you got a diversified portfolio with some nice yield, big exposure to the largest companies in America. All right, it's not perfect. There will always be dogs. However, uh, when their performance is too doggy, too terrible, they can be kicked out Self, and so, replaced so. by better companies. bye bye. buy, 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 the cell phone on Friday is quite telling. The Dow shed 600 points because of two types of fear, the physical fear of the actual disease and the economic fear of the fallout from the disease. On the physical side, we were worried about how well our government would be able to quarantine a disease that's been ravaging central China. Turns out, at least for now, uh, only a dozen people got through the net. And now that President Trump has closed the doors to Chinese nationals, I, I guess it's possible that could pretty much be it. Of course, we don't know how many students came from Wuhan with the virus. There's a two-week incubation period, so the carriers might not even know themselves. Yet, they could be spreading disease all over the place at this very moment. But one thing is for sure. These public health worries turned out to be a real bad reason to sell the S&P 500. The economic fears, though, that's another story. The companies that are linked to travel and hospitality in China, they are hurting. If their stocks are up, that's wrong. We know that supply chain problems have haunted other examples. Apple, own it, don't trade it. Uh, They're short, we learned today, 45 million AirPods because assemblers can't get their parts. Apple's a lot going for it, but that's going to crimp their numbers, at least the upside. We see weakness in store closing from retailers in China like Starbucks, uh, Capri Holdings, Yum China, uh, Nike and Disney have said their businesses could be hurt. Some of the cruise line stocks have come down, even as the response, uh, think cancellations, has apparently been pretty muted. For me, this is all confirmation that the Chinese economy is slowing, perhaps by as much as 1%. But China has injected itself with massive amounts of economic stimulus. So once this coronavirus is contained, the so-called China stocks of America could be fabulous performers. We're pushing it that way for action alerts with Starbucks, said that today at the club in a conference call. In other words, investors are treating this slowdown as a buying opportunity for the stocks of American companies with major Chinese exposure, and it might just work. That's the second reason why you don't see many sellers. It would be very different if these companies had bad balance sheets, but they don't. So therefore, they can weather this kind of pain. Other than Yum China, they all have big cash flows from outside the PRC. Many of them are buying back stock at this very moment, and they might have the right idea. When Chipotle got hammered by its latest food scare not that long ago, Uh, The company fixed the problem while repurchasing 10 percent of its share cap at very low prices. That was a steal. Chipotle stock has come roaring back, as we know from speaking to CFO Jack Hartung earlier this week. I also believe that many of these declines truly are temporary. Today, Tyson Foods reported an OK number and failed to spell out the possibility of a gigantic pork and chicken business in China. I thought their call was particularly poorly done. But that doesn't mean I want to give up on it. I think the stock's will buy below eighty, especially if we catch some downgrades tomorrow and they take it to seventy-eight. I would like to take those guys out and explain to them how to do a conference call. But you know what? I have a job. Well, I actually, have a couple of jobs, but it does not include teaching Tyson how to do a conference call. Tesla fell from a high perch, but then bounced this afternoon. The balance sheet could be fixed by a gigantic fundraising. Assuming it even needs one, Elon must not may not need the money. Uh, but you know what? It's resilient. I feel the same way about the FAANG stocks. They have so much money that they can be bought into any weakness, too. Like Alphabet. Remember the other day Alphabet reported of Google and I said, hey, you know what's good? And everyone said, oh, man, that is so awful. It did make the number. Guess what? The stock's back to where it was before the bad quarter. And so-called bad quarter. And it's going to take that out and then some. Because it was actually a good quarter. You hear it here first. Since 100, I've liked it. How is all this possible? Well, look, ever since the Great Recession, most large companies have been much better about maintaining clean balance sheets, having cash on hand. They do not want to get caught with their pants down again. The ones that occasionally try to sneak in with big debt like we work. Well, you know what? They don't even make it to the finish line. We hate bad balance sheets and we don't lie. With clean balance sheets, though, you can feel much more comfortable buying these stocks and any fears of a temporary Chinese slowdown. Buy, 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 buy. And that's exactly what people are doing. Third point. We were supposed to have natural sellers that would weigh on the market every day. I'm talking here about the retiring baby boomers. You might have expected them to be ringing the register on a large part of their 401ks or IRAs at the beginning of this year because they've been up so long. And the virus sure sounded scary. But here's the thing. The boomers are stuck. Where else can they put their money? Short term rate interest rates are very low. Medium term rates aren't that much better. This is the fabled situation where the stocks are the only game in town. I know a lot of you hate that and think that it's just soporific, if not fanciful. Well, I don't even want to call it reasoning. I can't call it logic. How about dreaming? But it's actually rigorous analysis. Short stocks have run. But do you really want to put your money in the 10 year instead of just when it yields just 1.64% when you got so many stocks that yield much more? Finally, as I Always say, whether you love Trump or you hate him, the president doesn't want to see this market go down. He likes He's kind of like our money manager in chief, you know. In his State of the Union, we pointed out that $12 trillion uh, in, dollars in wealth has been created. And he mentioned that over here, mentioned the success. Since he was elected, that's a pretty good number. And returns on retirement accounts have been among the best ever. He gave, actually gave you some percentages, depending on the manager. It's kind of a fun part of the speech. Truth be told, No president in my lifetime has shown this level of interest in the stock market. He's more interested in the stock market now than when I used to be a a judge on The Apprentice. And he would ask me about stocks. I always told him I liked Verizon. It was better. Verizon, you know, no one ever got hurt recommending Verizon. Nobody. Trump wants stocks higher, and he's happy to do things to help them. He sees the success of the stock market as being integral to his re-election efforts, and he wants to be re-elected. He sees it as... A judge of himself? That means he's got to put his thumb on the scales to boost stocks? I bet he'll do it. It's a pretty good reason to buy the dips, isn't it? The bottom line, look, flow of funds can be a fickle way to invest, but right now the market is anything but mercurial or arbitrary. It's redoubtable. It's implacable. It's resolute. To buy on weakness isn't a stooge thing to do. It's the stooges who don't do the buying. Aram in New York. Aram. Hi, good evening, Mr. Kramer. How are you doing tonight? I am doing well because I've got McCormick Spice on. All right, what's oh, going on with you? Awesome. I have a stock called Funko. I bought it in May after you had the CEO on on air. Yeah, and in and in in uh, Septemberish, she sold about two million shares, and then now we they pre released earnings yesterday, and it looked horrible. That was and horrible. I was wondering what your take on it. It, it was horrible, and we had a lot. Of, we had analysts go from buy to sell, and. It was horrible. I mean, that was, I don't even, look, I don't, that, you may Google horrible stock and you might see Funko. But you know what? Doesn't impact the worthiness of the product. All right, China's injected massive stimulus into its economy, which could mitigate the negative impact to US companies based there and create buying opportunities for you. It's actually disciplined. Oh, my buddy, tonight, the reported earnings of the stock to sort. Can the move continue as the 2020 presidential race rolls on? Cheap stock. I got the CEO. Then is it time to stop speculating on the coronavirus? Don't make a move before hearing my take. And China is McCormick's second largest market in terms of sales. So are we should be uh, concerned about how the virus has impacted stock. And I'm going to throw. I'm bringing this back to the set tomorrow. The squawk on the street. I'm going to splash it in the eye of David Faber, as I promised. Stay with Kramer. Are the health maintenance organizations ready to finally start getting the respect they deserve? Look at Cigna. Here's a stock that peaked above $225 December 2018, then slid to below 150 in its lows last year, in part because investors were terrified that the Democrats might nominate a presidential candidate who wants to abolish private insurance, but in part because some people didn't like an acquisition that I said was brilliant. Like I've been telling you the whole time, this is a great business to be in. Regardless of how the election goes in November, nobody will have the votes in the Senate to impose single payer. That's one reason the whole group came roaring back. Even after the move, though, a uh, that sure seems real cheap, maybe too cheap, especially when you consider that the company just reported a nice top and bottom line beat and sent the stock up more than 2 percent. The darn thing's selling for barely more than 10 times extra earnings. I don't get it. I think it's a steal, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with David Cordan, and we absolutely love from when they did the acquisition of Express Scripts. He's the president and CEO of Cigna. Mr. Kidani, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to be with you, Jim. All right, David, when we saw you last time, your stock had been killed, and I said, this Express Scripts deal, it's going to be unbelievable. I don't believe many of these analysts don't like it. They're going to be wrong. You proved them wrong, didn't you?
2: Well, we're uh, we're proving the uh, combination works. We're growing the company, as you noted. Uh, we increased our revenue guidance and our earnings guidance each of the last uh, quarters of 2019, and we ended the year with another beat. And then we're stepping into 2000. And- 20 with a 10% revenue growth outlook and another double-digit earnings outlook in front of us. And importantly, Jim, uh, we're producing a phenomenal amount of uh, free operating cash flow. We produced $9.5 billion of operating cash flow in 2019. So um, the combination is working really well because it's working well for our customers and our our clients in the marketplace.
1: Yeah, uh, The number of – I don't think people realize how big you are. 171 million total customer relationships? How's that possible? Yeah, we have over 100 –
2: over 170 million customer relationships around the world. Uh, we ended 2019 with 140 billion dollars of revenue, and we view it—it's a privilege. It's a privilege to serve that many customers. It's a growing number. Um, we've just went from 165 million to 170 million, and we're we'll rapidly making our way to 200 million customer relationships around the world, where we're trusted to help people with their health, well-being, and peace of mind. Um, and we're a growing company. That's why that number is so large.
1: Uh, can you tell people who are uh, baby boomers, for instance? Uh, what is the advantage of choosing Cigna versus others when it comes to the Medicare Advantage?
2: Well, um, I appreciate the Medicare Advantage question. For 2020, we expect to grow that business between 13 and 16% of new customer growth. Core to our Medicare Advantage business is we work very deeply with the physicians. So we have what's called value-based care relationships, where we not only share information, we share clinical resources. Nurses, health coaches, case managers, behavioral health professionals all with the objective of helping to extend the physician's office to do more comprehensive whole person health. As a result, our Medicare Advantage customers, we earned a 71-point net promoter score in 2019. Jim, that's phenomenal. People aspire to achieve that five years hence, and that's because we're managing one customer at a time and one physician relationship at a time, and those services are helping to coordinate that person's whole person health.
1: That is the highest, isn't it, in your group?
2: It yeah, is. Bern- it is. Other than Kai- other than Kaiser, which is a unique model right. um, across our portfolio, that's the highest in the group right now.
1: I'm glad you mentioned Kaiser because uh, there's a gentleman who ran it. He did such a great job, and uh, he is missed. Bernard Tyson. Uh, let me ask you something. We all we all miss Bernard. I agree yeah, with Bernard you. Bernard Tyson was just a remarkable man. He's really nice to my wife too. By the way, we had dinner. She said, "Who is this guy? Does he run a big company?" I said, "He runs the biggest." And he is missed. He's he was a sensational man. Uh, let me try to understand. What is what would happen? Say when you get new drugs. Let's say, for instance, so the CGRP drugs for migraine. Uh, do you are you one of those? Uh, are you an early adopter, or you say wait and see if it's good? So, Jim, um,
2: a part of the way um, our company is run, there's an independent panel of physicians. The group, Think of a group of about 15 or 17 physicians representing all areas of specialization. That group actually goes through both the pipeline of new drugs that come through, so they know what's coming through, as well as the new drugs once they're approved. And they make an independent assessment um In aiding our chief medical officer for the organization and they determine whether or not um, they're included all the time they're included sometime or they're excluded from that standpoint secondly we work with our clients be they commercial clients or health plan clients or governmental agencies to make recommendations to how they should design their formulary or their access programs Mm -hmm. but it's all informed by the FDA approval and then that independent group of physicians which is a backbone of our company and that group is independent multifunctional from
1: that standpoint okay So uh, let's say someone comes to you. Let's please. We hope the coronavirus does not uh, go beyond the 12 people that CDC talks about. But there are many different formulations that I'm hearing. If if one of the lives was covered by Cigna and they wanted to try to experiment, would you pay for that?
2: So when you come to experimental therapies, there's also um, a protocol relative to that from a review standpoint. So um, the general answer would be it depends. And it depends on two things. Is Cigna covering the life as an insured? or are we acting as a facilitator for an employer or health plan? If we're acting as a facilitator for an employer or health plan, then it depends on the program there. And two, it depends on the evidence. Typically when you're getting into experimental treatments, be they drug or surgical or otherwise, there's an independent evaluation that's made. And if there's a positive recommendation, we typically are going to cover and facilitate that. But it's a case-by-case basis, independent evaluation, and informed by the
1: coverage. Well, well, you're on top of this stuff, so I have to ask you, is the country ready if, if the coronavirus uh, expands? Do we have enough beds? Do you, are, is your company set for it? Because it does sound like something that you have to that you uniquely know more than almost anybody in the country.
2: Well, we're a global health service company. So, for example, the World Health Organization is a client of ours. Um, We have a business in China, so we're we're managing that as we see it today. So, first and foremost, it comes down to the safety, in that case, of our coworkers and then the safety and service of our customers. Um, We're able to get a first-hand look in terms of what's transpiring in China due to the nature of our joint venture there. Coming back to the United States... I think the United States, the sophistication of our healthcare care delivery system, the pandemic preparation that it takes place in the United States on a regular basis, um, we're as ready as any developed country can be for this. Right. But as you know, there is not yet a documented cure um, for this strain of the coronavirus. So that's why the, the world is coming together using pandemic management protocols to make sure it does everything possible to minimize the transfer of the um, illness in the current state. But again, from an OECD country or developed country, the United States is as prepared as possible right now.
1: And how do you feel China's doing right now, just as a, a business person who's looking at Cigna, but obviously has a heart and cares about what the heck is going on?
2: You know, and I appreciate the latter part because that's what I was going to go to. First and foremost, your heart goes out to the Chinese citizens, right? Um, so my co-workers in China are first and foremost, our orientation is their health and their safety. So you activate work at home protocols immediately. Um, access to care protocols are open from that standpoint. Um, The country is using every resource possible that's available to it. Um, As you know, China has a lot of state-owned organizational hospitals from that standpoint. There are private institutions as well, um, availing additional resources through the private institutions as well. And in cases of of tragedy or challenges like this, it's typically when you see the best of society come out. So you see individuals helping one another from that standpoint. So from what we're seeing in terms of our coworkers, um, broadly speaking, um, safety first. Health is largely in check. We have two affected employees um, in our organization that are being supported um, in China today, and we're working with the
1: centralized government to provide services there as well. Uh, Last question. Were you surprised at how how short a time it took for the American population to figure that maybe single payer is too expensive?
2: Well, I I think as we step back from that standpoint, our belief set as a corporation is that in the United States, every American deserves access to affordable, high-quality health care. We do believe that what we should do is keep building on the systems that are working and strengthening them. That's first the employer-sponsored system, Medicare Advantage, and aspects of the uh, individual exchange system. But choice, choice resonates in America because of both the unbelievable diversity of our population and, importantly, the diversity of the localized health care delivery system. Now, stepping back... Americans demand, again, improved affordability, and that's mm-hmm. the number one priority that Cigna is driving forward. And we're proud of the fact that we continue to deliver the lowest rate of medical cost growth, yet with high satisfaction. And we'll keep leaning in with innovative products and services to deliver against that.
1: Well, great. Congratulations. The Express deal. We didn't talk about Express, Express but You have so many other interesting things to go on. But congratulations. The stock's been uh, doing everything, Thanks, and, and yet it's still too cheap. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Jim. Okay. That's David is president and CEO of Cigna, which we liked 60 points ago and we still like their money's back at the Please stop speculating about what's really happening with the coronavirus outbreak. I'm tired of reading stories about potential vaccines or cures that just might work. Just let the research play out, for heaven's sake. As for the number of infected, I think you should take every update with a grain of salt, if not a whole container of Morton's ionized. Everything is in flux here, and the CDC might not even be updating us correctly. I mean, are we really supposed to believe that there are only 11 positive cases of coronavirus in the country as of yesterday? when there are now 20 cases on a single Carnival cruise ship off the coast of Yokohama in Japan? If those figures are accurate, then we've been making a mountain out of a I mean, really, maybe the quarantine is working. Maybe we're wasting our time worrying about this illness when the garden variety flu kills so many more people. This flu season, we had 15 million cases, 140,000 hospitalizations and 8,200 deaths just through the middle of January. Apparently, the last few weeks have been even worse. According to Hill Ferguson, he's the CEO of Doctor on Demand, who we spoke to earlier this week. While the lack of new cases here is indeed comforting, I can't say the same thing about what's happening in China. First off. I don't trust the Chinese Communist Party as far as I can throw them. And they're not letting any U.S. entities near their numbers to verify them. Second, the companies we've heard from that do business in China have painted a very negative picture. Third, the smuggled online videos from the front lines of Wuhan are they're absolutely devastating. Fourth, their government has shelled out a massive amount of money to stimulate the economy. And I believe they're using some of that to just flat out buy stocks in order to prop up asset prices. They've done it before. It's not a great sign. The worst assessment so far came from Yum China, which owns the Chinese Pizza Huts and the KFCs. On their cops called last night, they told a story of tremendous strain on the entire system across the country. It's something much bigger and much worse than what's happening in Wuhan. As the CFO told us, quote, the recent coronavirus outbreaks have caused significant eruptions in our business. The impact comes from temporary closure of our restaurants, as well as substantial decline in sales to the restaurants that remain open, end quote. Apparently, more than 30 percent of all Yum! China stores are closed and same-store sales are down 40 to 50 percent. Ouch. The most worrisome line in the conference call, quote, you can expect more bad news, end quote. Maybe the United States has been spared. Maybe it's just a public health crisis here now. But China's in big trouble, and trying to call a peak in this disease has been a fool's game. Two days ago, Calen flagged a dip in new suspected and confirmed cases in China. I got my hopes up that maybe the trend had become less terrifying. But then yesterday, the numbers spiked right back up. It was wrong. The only thing less reliable than these daily numbers, the daily reports that someone has a vaccine or a cure for this thing. Many different drugs have been tried. If any of them actually worked, I, I have to believe we'd find out pretty fast. Here's the only certainty I can offer. Clorox kills the virus. You use wipes, you can protect yourself from surface transmission, which, by the way, is the way a lot of people are getting this. Everything else, take it not with a grain of salt, maybe even a pillar of salt, because the truth is, we just don't know. Let's go to Nelson, New Jersey, please. Nelson. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my question. Of of course. A sincere heartfelt thank you for helping me put the market in perspective over the last 15 years. That's why I really need your help with this. Oh, one. you're great. I mean, that is, I mean, I try to tell people, I said, what's the show about? Is it picking stocks? I said, it's the opposite. It's trying to educate and teach. If it was just picking stocks, I'd go back to my old hedge fund. You do that in a nanosecond. Let's go to work. All right, TCOM, trip.com downgraded today by HSBC on January 22nd by Bernstein. There are a travel and leisure stock, Jim, with 70% direct exposure to China's travel industry earnings coming on February 26th, where at the very least their short-term guidance is going to have to be dreadful. Right? You know, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, the coronavirus. How can the stock be trading up this week? Help me wrap my head up. Okay, around. this fits with the hotel business and the cruise business. They're all going up. I've been saying uh, that this is not right, that these stocks shouldn't be going up, and people should be careful. You and I are in the same boat. But you know what, Nelson, here's the problem. Everyone's saying the same thing, and yet the buyers don't want to listen. Maybe they have to lose some money. Maybe that's what will make them certain. Uncertainty is the only certainty we have when it comes to the coronavirus outbreak. Trying to call it peak in, it's a fool's game. Let it play out, please. Hey, much more man money yet. From salt and pepper to more exotic flavors, you can likely find consumer giant McCormick in your kitchen cabinets. But is it stock the secret ingredient for your portfolio? I've got the exclusive. Then the utilities were helped out by a rate cut. But with the group's next gains uncertain, how could Elliott Management's move into Evergy impact the sector? I'm investigating. The order calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Ramer. I've been telling you that I'm a little skeptical about this rebound. And while that position gets harder and harder to justify with every passing day, while the averages keep marching higher, I'm going to stick by my guns. I think this could be another shoe to drop, uh, either from the coronavirus outbreak or maybe a Bernie Sanders surge in the primaries or maybe from the upcoming slate of retail earnings. When that shoe drops, you'll want something defensive, a defensive position. And when it comes to playing defense, it doesn't get much better than McCormick, the number one maker of spices and seasons. Last week, this company reported a slight revenue miss, but it's driven by currency fluctuations, little lighter guidance because they're investing more in their business, and the stock tumbled nearly 4% on the news. Since then, the stock keeps getting hammered because this is not the kind of thing people buy when they're feeling as eu- euphoric as the averages indicate. So could this be the buying opportunity? You don't get many in this one. Let's dig deeper with Lawrence Kershys. He's the chairman and CEO of McCormick. Get a better read on the quarter where his company's headed and how good a buying opportunity this might be. Mr. Curtis, welcome back to Man Money. Good hey, to see you, Jim, Lawrence. Have a seat. See good to see you. Well, it's always great to see you because every one of these is in my kitchen. Every single one. And I tell my wife you ought to watch because she is the biggest user of McCormick.
3: Well, Jim, that's great to hear. And, you know, it's. Great to be here to talk to you because you've got to be feeling good. Uh, I came on this show for the first time two and a half years ago after we had just done the deal buying French's and Frank's. And you told your viewers that that was going to be a great combination. And if they had bought stock that day, they with reinvested dividends, they'd have had a total return of about 80% since then, which <gasps> is about you? double the market in this frothy market. I didn't market. know
1: it was that good. Mm-hmm. I knew what I like, okay, and I try to tell our people who watch, if you like Frenchs like I do, I'm from Philadelphia, and I like it on my soft pencils. If you like Frank's because you put it on everything, you didn't know how it could miss. It had to make it, but the analyst must not use the product. They were looking at some sort of spreadsheet, but you and I both know these are wild, wildly popular, but they had been doing nothing with them, and you've changed that big time.
3: Yeah, and they feed right into consumer trends, Jim. Consumers want more flavorful bolder products and there's a real movement towards hotter and spicy flavors especially among younger consumers and so these brands were terrific hits with millennials and gen z consumers literally the younger you are the more likely you are to be using
1: Frank's. Well, loris there's a there is a hoarding going on in this country right now my favorite spice admittedly is is is, is old bay and i put it on m- many more things than i should i love hot sauce people can't really get this Jim, this has
3: been an un- an, un- an unbelievable hit. Um, we introduced this through our uh, online store and sold out in literally less than 30 minutes. How is that um, possible? It's, it's, it's incredible. And, uh, and I'd say this is an example of what they call a uh, revenue synergy. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've got great brands, and now we have this great capability in hot sauce, and so you know, here's a chance to bring Old Bay to hot sauce. No, and, is this because Old of— Old Bay uh, lovers.
1: But this is not can't, even can't the grilling out. season yet. What's going to happen? How, can you, are you working 24-7 to get this oh. product out? <laughs>
3: Believe me, to, to be out is, uh, is, is not something that I want. That, I want to fulfill right. that demand. We, we, we want it out there.
1: How did this happen? Let's think about this. This is millennials deciding that they want to be able to stay thin and have something that tastes great?
3: Well, I think that's a big part of it. You know, it's great flavor. Uh, you know, hot sauce uh, you know, delivers a, a lot of great uh, you know, flavor. Besides the heat, Frank's has a very distinctive taste profile. Right. And, of course, obey. Um, especially if you're in a mid Atlantic states. I mean, there's, there's nothing that, that uh, stands up. nationally, like I'm the, sure you're the seeing the
1: orders, right? That's exactly. Now, um, I own a, a Mexican bar, and what I go through more than anything else in the world is hot sauce, many different kinds. I wish you made it, or I wish you would buy one, because it is hard to keep in stock. The millennials go crazy, but I need a McCormick brand, one that I trust. Oh, well.
3: Well, you know, um, you know, Frank's is our is our powerhouse uh, right now, but uh, we're committed to be the number one maker of hot sauce in the world. So when we acquired Frank's, that made us number two in the world and it's uh, number one in the U.S., number two in the world. Uh, and our goal is to be number one. So I'll take that advice under and, uh, and see what we can do about it.
1: I think it'll be pretty good. In the meantime, there's a lot of other moving parts that are going on. You're doing something, and people get confused about it. You're doing ERP. You're doing this enterprise resource. It's going to cost some money to do. Right. Uh, you bring in an outfit that really makes you more organized. You haven't done it in a long time. Tell people why you have to do that so they don't think that it's money wasted.
3: Yeah, sure. So, so first of all, I, I just want to say that our underlying business is terrific. Right. We've strong growth, and we've continued to invest behind our brands and 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 doing the things to build the mccormick of the future Mm -hmm. and and this is part of building the mccormick of the future our erp system the the software that we run our business on was uh we, we went onto the platform that we're on right now in 2002 And we were a much smaller company then. We were much less international than we are today. And the fact is, technology has moved a long way since 2002. And so to run our business efficiently and effectively at the larger scale and the larger size um, with
1: today's technology, it's it's a right investment to make. All right, good. Because I think that some of the analysts are saying, well, listen, do you really have to spend that much? I want you to be... Uh, equal to your expansion plans,
3: which are important.
1: Yeah, now, see, these also- are
3: global systems, right. so they are they are inherently expensive. But Jim, it's like a it's like a it's like the cost is like the a pig and a python. Okay. You know, you know, you know it, it goes in, but then it's going to pass through. And so, you know, right now in, in 2020, we're going to have the ramp up of expense. Okay. But we'll be back on our growth algorithm after that. It, okay. right, that
1: will not stop our growth algorithm. Well, this is, again, why the opportunity is there. Now, there was something that you mentioned. You have a, big, you have a division in China. And I was under the mistaken impression that something as terrible as what's going on there would mean good for you because the more people would cook at home and not go out. But you did say, look, it's not a positive.
3: Yeah, it's hard to say that, that it's a positive. Uh, you know, it's, right now, I'd say it's hard to know the impact of the coronavirus so in, in China. Um, we have a large uh, business in China. Uh, part of it is supplying consumers. Part of it is supplying restaurants. Oh, um, consumers okay. are not you know, going out. A lot of the country's on on, uh, on lockdown. You know, I'd say that right now our number one concerns are for the health and safety of our employees right. and the quality and integrity of our products. Um, and it, it's a little soon to know what the financial impact, but it can't be a positive, you know, when people aren't going out to restaurants and consuming our our customers' products, and uh, and, and
1: uh, it, it, okay, I think it's a tough time there. Yeah, but I'm glad you you're I, not. I trying will to try to say and things. confine it
3: though. What we do in China is for China, so you know we manufacture in China for Including the Chinese in Wuhan. market. So.
1: Exactly. Yes. And you get daily updates of how they're doing. Are people people okay? We
3: do, and so at this point in time, so we've got over nine hundred employees in Wuhan and a manufacturing facility there, and uh, and as of now, there are no known cases among any of our employees or their families. So that's
1: that's certainly good news. She's well. That's fantastic news. Uh, one last thing, I I, I do want to ask you. I'm seeing this on um, eBay. Yeah. for more than it's selling for. I mean, how is that possible? Can I flip this? Can I sell this for $30 to $50? Which you know that's what it's going for I'll, as of this afternoon? I'll let your
3: conscience be your guide. But it has been going for 50 bucks on eBay,
1: actually, Jim. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm cooking this weekend. And you know what I'm going to be using? Well, anyway, thank you. Thank you for those kind comments about knowing that it was the right thing to do. But it was pretty easy. I got a wife and she cooks. Alright, thank you Lawrence. That's Lawrence Cursius. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of McCormick. What a great stock. This is the time you buy something like this. Man Buddy's back in the ring. It is time up over the light going to the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dash over the light round. I'm going to start with Little John in California. Little John. Booyah, Jim. I'm calling to get your thoughts on STM Microelectronics. Oh, you- I think that's a good semi company, and that group's going <laughs> right, Micron's leading the way again. Let's go to Chad in Iowa. Chad. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I just wanted to say I'm a huge fan. I talked to you last week on Monday. Okay. And I think you're awesome. Great job. Go Chiefs. I'm glad they won. I'm a big yeah, I am too. We like you, What's up? Yes. Anyway, I'm calling about ConocoPhillips. I have some stock in that. And what is your view? Well, look, Both- I'm not a big fan of the fossil fuel stocks for a variety of reasons. You are in the one with the best growth profile, the large ones. So, look. If you want to own it, you got a three percent yield. It's okay. Let's go to Chris in New York. Chris, booyah, Jim, booyah. Uh, I wanted to hear what your thoughts on Newcora are. Uh, If you like a steel company, it's the best steel company. I don't prefer steel companies. I think there's too much competition. But if you like them, they are the one. Let's go to Ross in South Carolina. Ross, booyah, Mister Kramer. Yo. Hey, I'm 23 years old, and I'm a senior here at Clemson University. Yes, Clemson. Yes, sir. And I want to give a shout out to my dad and Aiken. There you go. Let's give shout out. So, uh, my stock has growth uh, plus a great yield, and it looks ready to capitalize on the rollout of 5G. So, the stock I'm calling about
3: today is Crown Castle. Oh, in that's a good
1: one. You're absolutely right. Tower stock. Two the terrific number tonight. Uh, I think you're in good shape. Let's go to John in California. John. Hey, Jimmy Chill, man, all the way here from Seal Beach, California. Listen, decades
3: plus watcher, uh, first-time caller. Okay. Hey, Neo. Uh Neo's on my mind. Uh, I've been watching it. i got peas and carrots across my chart. Don't know what to think. Is there uh, a light? At the end you know, that's just
1: a dice roll. Let's get some dice out and see how we do. I like to do more than just dice rolling. Uh-uh. Let's go to Brianne in California. Brianne. Hi, Jim. Thank you very much for taking my call of and course. all your financial wisdom. Thank my you. question was regarding tandem diabetes. I was exposed to them from watching your show, and they're up about 23% since I originally invested. Well, what fantastic. I mean, what's been bothering me is that you know, that stock was down in the 50s and 60s. People kept calling saying, hey, do you still like it? Do you still like it? Just because the stock goes down. I feel this way about Tyson Foods, my charitable trust owners. Uh, Just because the stock goes down does not mean it's a bad company. Tandem diabetes should never have gone down those prices. It is a good situation. How about Lee in Texas, please? Lee. Hello, Professor. Hook horns from the Lone Star State. Gotcha. Uh, Iron Mountain, a buy or sell? I think it's a buy. I think you get that good yield. Uh, There's no sign that the market you know, position is deteriorating. I think it's a fine situation. I would be a buyer. And that, ladies and other Lightning Round.
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Something very bizarre has been happening over the last two weeks. Powerful money managers are pressuring publicly traded companies to go green or go home. And I think a lot of people are having trouble seeing just how much of a sea change. This is the most stunning example, actually last month, was Elliott Management. Yeah, one of the most hard-headed activist hedge funds on Earth, all right? It launched a new campaign targeting Evergy. Evergy, well, that, that's the Missouri and Kansas-based utility that was created by the merger of Star and Kansas City Power and Light in 2018. Elliott says Evergy should spend less money on buybacks and more money investing in renewable energy sources. Normally, activists love buybacks. But it's the embrace of wind and solar that really shocked me in this one. you got to understand, these guys at Elliott are the furthest thing from a bunch of bleeding heart environmentalists. They're practically the embodiment of rapacious capitalism. They're not doing this out of uncharacteristic commitment to sustainability. This is about polit- not about politics, people. It's not about politics. It's about profits. See, ever since the merger that created it a little over a year and a half ago, Evergy, which is the red line, well, it behaved like your typical utility stock, but only worse. Look at this disparity. From mid-2018 to the end of last year, the stock had a 21% return, including the dividend. Okay, we like that, but the utilities had a 30% return using the utility ETF. Elliott seized on that underperformance when they entered the fray last month after taking a 5% stake in the business. They told us they'd been in dialogue with management for months, talking about ways to maximize shareholder value. But those talks, they'd broken down. Elliott's thesis. They argue energy's gone from having a premium valuation to having a discount valuation because investors have lost confidence in management's long-term plans. The company's been spending too much money on buybacks and not enough reinvesting in the business. As Elliott sees it, That limits their upside. They want Evergy to invest substantially more money in its electrical system. In particular, they want the company to roll out more renewables, shrink its carbon footprint. They either want management to get busy making that happen or to pursue a stock for stock merger and then make it happen. All told, Elliott believes Evergy could create $5 billion worth of value for its plan, which is pretty meaningful. This is a $16 billion business. What drew them to this story in the first place? Okay, Evergy has a bunch of top-notch re- regulated utility assets in Kansas, Missouri. It's well-known, it's well-liked, and they have multi-year regulatory agreements, meaning there's a lot of certainty about the rates they can charge their customers. On top of that, Evergy's in a terrific region to build windmills and has the balance sheet to pay for it. In short, Elliot, please. Evergy has a bunch of natural advantages, but the stock's been an underperformer for a couple of reasons. They even use one of my favorite words, accusing management of having a suboptimal plan. That's a Jimmy Chilward. Maybe they watch the show a lot. They're spending too much on buybacks and the execution hasn't been great since the merger in 2018. As Elliott's letter explained, I quote, Evergy implemented a unique strategy premised on using cash flow and excess capital to repurchase shares rather than driving subst- sustainable value creation by making critical long term systems, invest system investments, end quote. They continue Evergy's current plan relies on holding rate-based growth to 2 to 3% for multiple years, while relying on share buybacks to manufacture near-term growth in earnings per share. End quote. Most utilities are, are looking at better rate-based increases than 2 to 3%. So there's a real lack of ambition here. Plus, Elliott also points out a string of operating issues, including the prolonged merger integration and management's recent guidance cuts. Yeah, they cut guidance, even with this great area. Home of the Super Bowl champion Lombardi Trophy. So you can understand why these activists want change. But why the heck are they calling for this utility to embrace environmental sustainability? Well, it doesn't hurt that Missouri recently passed a law designed to encourage more investment in the state's electric grid. But that doesn't tell you why Elliott wants to embrace wind rather than coal or natural gas. Yet they're talking about how Evergy could be a leader in decarbonization. Well, it turns out renewables have become a heck of a lot more efficient. Evergy has struggled with its operating and maintenance costs, in part because it sources 40% of its energy from coal, which is now more expensive than natural gas or wind because it's so dirty. Meanwhile, Kansas and Missouri have the capacity for 785 gigawatts of wind capacity. And once you've got the windmills up and running, wow, wind is so cheap. Put it all together, and Elliot believes Evergy can generate 8 to 10% earnings growth under their plan. That's up from 4 to 6% under the status quo. And if Evergy can't do that on their own, Elliott talks about trying to bring in new directors with more utility experience or pressuring the company to consider a sale. Basically, they're implicitly threatening to launch a proxy fight if they don't get their way. In response, the stocks caught fire, jumping from around 63 before Elliott got involved to 71 as well. Let's say Wall Street likes what it's hearing. Plus, Elliott is such a good creator of value. It's really kind of weird, though, to have the hedge fund calling for, yeah, more renewables. Elliott management is saying that things that you'd never really hear from an activist. These guys are supposed to be vulture capitalists who only care about the short term. You rarely hear them be critic, uh, criticized, criticize a buyback. And when hedge funds talk about the environment, it's usually one of these ESG funds with money specifically earmarked for good corporate citizens. So when Elliott comes in and says, quote, actually want you to stop buying back stock and instead build a bunch of windmills, end quote. Well, that tells you something in the world has changed. These are soft quote marks. Sure enough, two weeks ago, Moody's published a note saying that Elliott's push for more investment in renewables is a credit-positive event for Evergy. They agree that spending billions on buybacks makes a lot less sense than putting that money into infrastructure. Now, Evergy's not thrilled about this. While they're te- they've taken a constructive tone about some of Elliott's proposals, they're also pushing back. Management points out that they're already on track to deliver big cost savings, and they want to return some of that money to shareholders via buybacks and dividend boosts, which is the kind of argument that activists would normally make. A week ago, Evergy made a joint announcement with the new Democratic governor of Kansas. They have a plan to reduce their carbon emissions by 80 percent by 2050 and add a ton of wind uh, uh, power to their portfolio. But by the end of this year, the company says they will already achieved 40 percent reduction versus 2005 levels. However, Evergy also points out that they had to make some agreements with the regulators to get the big merger approved, which means additional investment won't really pay off anytime soon because the rates will stay about the same price, same place. Meanwhile, it's not safe to cut much more from their operating and management costs. And even if they put themselves up for sale, there's a good chance the regulators would simply block the deal. My view, Evergy makes some good points, but I think Elliott's plan is worth a shot. That said, what they really seem to want is a sale, perhaps to another operator like NextEra, which recently sold, said it's on the hunt for deals in the Midwest. I like that company. Bottom line. Even if Elliott's plans for a sale or a great transformation might be difficult to achieve, I like what they're trying to accomplish. I don't like how much the stock has run since the news broke, though. Right here, you've got my blessing still to buy a position called speculative in Evergy. And then let's see how this all plays out. Stay with Kramer. Stay right there because you don't want to miss a CBC special report on the coronavirus outbreak. This one's hosted by Ty Matheson, my friend. He's going to do a terrific job. Look at that Tyson TSN. I'm telling you, it's a good one. Like I like to say there's always more somewhere. It's just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The CBC Special Report begins now.
0: Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at pimco.com slash bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing.